Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Philippe Matthews Radio Show. In our third installment with Dr. Walter Williams, uh, it, it, the first two was absolutely mind-blowing and amazing, and uh, this third installment with this great scholar is going to be uh, just as epic. During uh, the past 20 uh, years, Dr. Walter Williams' life, life commitment uh, has been dedicated to researching and resurrecting the ancient Egyptian consciousness among uh, his people, our people. Dr. Uh, Williams uh, says that uh, we have gone from uh, African slaves to colored to Negroes to blacks and now African Americans. The information written in his book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, is vital to our community at this time in the world uh, at large because he says there has never been uh, a man that ever walked the earth in human form of any race, creed, or color by the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome back, my good friend. Thank you, Brother Felice, for having me to come back on your show. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. So in this discussion, uh, in this installment, we're going to be talking about who is the man called God, how did they unleash the monster of Jesus Christ, how the first Bible was created, and when was it printed. That's a lot of stuff that everybody wants to know, Doc. Well, what you have to do, Brother Felice, is uh, to give it to me one at a time. And then I can absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about God. Um, yeah, in, in in the last program, uh, you you did an amazing job of having us go through the exercise of writing down the circles and putting in the information and seeing and walking us through the timeline of how uh, 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 Jesus the Christ uh, and, and and Mary and how everything was created. In, in, in religious uh, context and text and, and the falsification of that. That was absolutely amazing. So, of course, naturally the question is, is that, well, you know, uh, uh, who, who is God? Uh, and this man called God, where does this image come from and how did that, how did that develop? Start, well, let's start there. Well, first place, uh, I uh, went over the, how the image was created last time I was on your show. Mm-hmm. And I want everyone to know that uh, even though they are doing it, don't use that image that we know today as Jesus Christ as being God. That's a misnomer. You don't do that. That's a very, very bad mistake. And that's what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Western academia uh, wants you to uh, think that this image that that's on the cross called Jesus Christ is God. Okay, mm-hmm. they interchange that image and that name with being God, you see? Now, let's get back to the question. Who is this man called God? I'm not talking about no Jesus Christ now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm talking about what the ministers will tell you when they preach from the Bible. They said that uh, God created the heavens and the earth. God did not create the heavens and the earth. Why? Because God is a man. Mm-hmm. If an individual don't believe that God is not a man, then every time an individual uses the term or say the word God, they say he, is a him. That's a man. That's referring to a male. Mm-hmm. Then if you look in the dictionary, it says under God, for a definition of God, in the dictionary it says a male deity. Okay? Mm-hmm. Referring back to a, a, a male again. So therefore, you got to find out who is this man called God. Okay? Now, we know that the sky is above us, planets are up there, stars are up there, the moon is there, the sun is there, 
on this earth and planet, and you have uh, water, vegetation, animals, and humanity. Mm-hmm. So now that's part of creation. See, God, uh, if you want to use that term to apply that this God that they're trying to teach you to believe that created the sky, the planets, the stars, the moon, the sun, air, earth, water, vegetation, animals, and humanity. They try to imply that this God, or use the term God, is the one that created what we know today as creation and what we know as I just described. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, so uh, that question cannot be answered. I know the answer to that question of what created uh, the things I just mentioned. The answer to that is don't know. It's a mystery of life. Mm-hmm. If you notice in uh, creation, the things I just mentioned, such as the sky and so forth and so on, man is in there. Man is part of creation. Mm-hmm. Therefore, um, no human on earth, I don't care how much money you have, how much education you have, how much money you have, and what station in life that you hold, you cannot tell me what created the sky, mm-hmm. what created the planets, the stars, the moon, the sun, etc., etc. Can't do that. So this, that's a mystery of life. Don't even try to rack your mind to try to figure it out. Of course, you're going to. All you're going to come up with is a theory. And a theory is not based on facts. It's based on your or one's opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, the next question has to be asked. What created the first man and the first woman to appear on planet Earth? Mm-hmm. What created that? Where did this first man and first woman uh, come from? Mm-hmm. When did they first appear on Earth? What created them? I have the answer to that. Don't know. That's also called the mystery of life. No human can tell you that. Mm-hmm. I don't tell you why. No human can tell you that. Now, let's get to the third thing. When an individual is deceased, and you go to that individual's funeral, you look down in the casket at that individual, the question has to be asked, where did the deceased spirit go? Where did he go? No human can answer that. That's also known as the mystery of life. Because no one that you know of died, and you saw them 30 days later, and, and, and they're back on earth in human form, and, and they can tell you their experience after, after death. They can't do that. That's not done. The reason why all three of these things cannot be answered is because no human on earth believe, know how they got here on earth as a human being. No human can tell you that. The only thing that you have uh, a knowledge of, uh, and that's not instant knowledge when it happened, but you have knowledge today as we speak, is that your mother and father had a sexual intercourse, and your father used his human instrument to insert into your mother's human instrument, and he released a sperm that fertilized and impregnated her egg, Mm -hmm. thus causing nine months of incubation to come and be uh, formed uh, so you, the human being, can come out 
at the end of that nine months of incubation, a human being attached to her umbilical cord. Now that, that you can apply that what I just said to seven billion humans walking this earth, as I speak, of all races, creeds, and color. So therefore, you cannot tell me, and no other human can tell me, when during that nine months of growth. Uh, and uh, that your eyeballs came in. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me when your toes came in. You can't tell me when your skull and your brains came in, your arms, your legs, your fingers, and so forth and so on. So therefore, you know, at the end of nine months, you came out as a whole, complete human being attached mm-hmm. to your mother's umbilical cord. So therefore, uh, that umbilical cord was cut to separate you from your mother, thus continuing life to begin and continue to search through your being as a human being. The umbilical cord that you were attached to from your mother uh, gave you food, water, and air for your development of the nine months. So therefore, that is the reason why I said and I will continue to say that no human being can tell you anything about uh, God. God is man-made. That's all God is. Man-made to fit religions. You see, the God of Christianity is this dead white man on the cross called Jesus the Christ. The God of Islam is Allah. The God of Judaism is Yahweh and Jehovah, et cetera, et cetera. So every religion, man-made religion, all religions are man-made, and they all have an individual God that is tailored to describe and fit in their religious ideology and practices. So that's the reason why I'm saying that um, who is this man called God? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I have to say about that, Brother Philippe. Well, thank you for that. And so as a result of that, we, we kind of went through this in the last um, uh, in the last show, and that, and that is how, how they unleashed the monster of Jesus the Christ. Did you want to uh, add something to that from, from, uh, 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 from our last show, uh, just as kind of a quick uh, dossier, if you will, a reminder of how uh, this came to be? And, and also, why do you refer uh, uh, to Jesus? Why do you refer to Jesus Christ as, as a monster and a creature? Well, he was created as a creature. Mm-hmm. You see, um, if, if an individual go into uh, Christian theology and ideology, they say that Jesus is uh, is a product of man. Mm-hmm. Okay, they said Jesus was created by man. That's true. Man can only create creatures, something that is spiritless. Man cannot create anything with life in it unless he's mated with a female. Mm-hmm. A female cannot create anything with life in it unless she's mated with a man, mm-hmm. a male. So therefore, uh, they said that Jesus is the son of man. So now. How did this Jesus become the son of a man? Because 
man created this creature they call Jesus the Christ. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I went over the last time I was on your program, and I stopped at the Council of Ephesus where this creature that they called Jesus the Christ was created from Serapis to Christ mm-hmm. and how this created creature, the Virgin Mary, was created to be the Theotokos of this Christ after the amalgamation was made by the Melchite Coptic Egyptians at Ephesus. Okay? The, theo- the word Theotokos means the mother of God. So therefore, I went over that. So if an individual will go back into uh, my second edition of being on your radio program, they will hear exactly what uh, I said about uh, the creation of Christ and Mary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, um, uh, in 532, the Byzantine emperor, Justinian, and his wife, Commission, uh, Melkite Coptic Egyptian architects and builders to build a church that was the world's first Christian church ever built on planet Earth for this Mary and Christ, for Christianity. That was in 532. Those African architects they designed this church, and the design of that church is on my book. If an individual gets my book, The Historical Origin of Islam, mm-hmm. they will see that 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 world's first Christian church with that dome on it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. built by African architects, designed by African architects, and built by African builders. Mm-hmm. That was the world's first Christian church. You talking about Hagia Sophia? The Hagia Sophia. Yes. Okay? The Church of Mary and Christ. Built there, finished in 537, five years later, by these Melkite Coptic Egyptian, uh, our ancestors, who built that church, uh, and it was and it was they finished it December the 27th, 537, and every year for 908 years later, or eight years after that. Uh, they celebrated on in Constantinople. Constantinople is known as Istanbul, Turkey today. Um, for 908 years, they celebrated uh, the birth of that church. So therefore, the birth of Mary and Christ. They had a Christ Mass, a Mass for Christ. Mm-hmm. Every December the 27th, they they dressed up. They had it was a festival day. They exchanged gifts. They had plenty of food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so for 908 years, that went on until the seat was moved out of the double wall city of Constantinople. In 1439 by John the Eighth, who was the Byzantine ruler at that time. He went into uh, Florence, Italy. It's a curia there. The word C-U-R-I-A, curia, means college. Mm-hmm. And this was at the 
at the beginning of the Renaissance era, and we're talking about, uh, in other words, it was 42 years into the Renaissance era for the Europeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, he relinquished what is known in history as the donation of Constantine, which I speak about in my first book, The Historical Origin of Christianity. I speak about the three historical events that brought about uh, uh the Council of Nicaea, one three twenty five. The Ecumenical Council of Nicaea, one three twenty five. Those three things were the Donatist schismatic controversy, the donation of Constantine, and the strong state made by Arius. But now, this uh, John the Eighth, in order to transfer that seat out of, Christ, out, out, out of Constantinople, out of the double wall city of Constantinople, from the Hagia Sophia, he had to relinquish the donation of Constantine. And then, that was in 1439, six years later, Eugenius IV and Nicholas V, on the outskirts of Rome, over the catacombs, they dug up those graves down in the ground that the Italians and the Romans buried their dead on the outskirts of Rome over the catacombs that was dug up to make way for the building of the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Now, the Vatican, um, uh, a lot of people don't realize, the Vatican uh, first started to be built in 1445. That's when they uh, built St. Peter's Church, known today as St. Peter's Basilica. But guess who uh, they asked to come in to build that? People, those Africans, those ancient Egyptian descendants, known in history as the Moors, they're the ones that built the uh, St. Peter's Church in Priscilla. Look at St. Peter's Church today in Priscilla. Look at that dome. It's only one group of people on earth that mm-hmm. built domes over churches, etc., etc., etc. That dome is seen on the world's first Christian church, the Hagia Sophia. Now, this was in 1445. The Europeans did not have that technology again because mm-hmm. now 48 years into the Renaissance era, you see? So they had uh, those moors. Came they had, out to borrow, they had to borrow that technology. They had to borrow it from somebody because they didn't have it. They hadn't learned that yet, that level of architecture. Well, we won't add that to the equation. They didn't borrow anything. They said they didn't borrow it. Let's, okay. let's, let's go by But I'm saying that the Moors came in, and they built uh, St. Peter's Basilica, St. Peter's Church. Look at the dome on it today, and look at the dome that's on uh the Hagia Sophia, which today is a library or a museum over there, I'm sorry, a museum, not a library, but a museum over in the double wall city of Constantinople, which is known today as Istanbul, Turkey. Okay, look at that dome. See? So that's the traits of our ancestors, ancient Egyptians. But when they came over there, asked to come over there in 1445 uh, to build uh, uh, over the catacombs, this 
church, which is known as St. Peter's Basilica, they put that dome on that church. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the Moors also built the Sistine Chapel. Mm-hmm. You see? And the Moors stayed over there and they built what is known as the Vatican today. They stayed over there for 33 years. Now that Vatican that you see over there today is nothing but a replica of the double ball city of Constantinople. Mm. Okay. Today, as I speak, it's nothing but a replica of Constantinople. That's all it is. You see? And they laid it out. And, and, and the Vatican today has a double wall in it. And within the confines of the double wall, they have, they have the Sistine Chapel. They have uh, St. Peter's Basilica. They have banks, uh, the banking system over there. They have their own city over there. They have their own standing armies, the Swiss guards over there, et cetera, et cetera. But the main thing I want to bring out is that it was the Moors, those African ancient Egyptian uh, Moors. Moor is a nickname, okay? So uh, I want to listen to the to know that it was the Moors, those Africans, that built St. Peter's Church in Basilica. And when that happened, uh, the seat of Christianity moved from northeast Africa, out of the double-walled city of Constantinople, into Europe. And that's when they unleashed this monster that we know today as Jesus Christ on the whole entire world from that point. So that's what I have to say about that. Amazing. So then one of the... uh most known and recognized pieces of literature that describes the characteristics and traits of these uh, creative creatures and, and, and invented uh, deities uh, is, is the Bible. Talk to us about the first Bible. How was it, how was it created? The first Bible was printed on planet Earth within uh, 1475. Um, That's uh, 30 years after uh, the establishment and the building of St. Peter's Church or the beginning to build or the building of the Vatican. 30 years after that. Uh, Here comes the world's first printed Bible. Now, Let's go back to the one that created the printing press with movable print. And that was Johannes Gutenberg. In 1437, he invented a printing press with movable print, even though the Chinese had had their uh, printing press with movable print in the 12th and 13th century. But he is the one today that... Uh, credit is given to of being the inventor of the printing press with movable print. Mm-hmm. Now, that was in 1437. He couldn't, he wanted to borrow money on that press, so he went to a capitalist by the name of Johannes Fuss, F-U-S-T. And Johannes Fuss loaned him money at a high interest rate. Okay? Uh, 
and he could not pay that loan back. So therefore, Fuss, Johannes Fuss, confiscated that printing press. He was a capitalist. Now, here you have over in Europe, for the very first time, a the seed of Christianity, a religion that could be utilized by the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? Um, so, Johannes Fuss, being a capitalist, he began to think. He said, I got this printing press, and the seed of Christianity is, has been moved to Europe. Why not create some literature for it? Mm-hmm. Okay? So, therefore, he used his printing press, along with Johannes Rusland and two of his Italian peers, Marcello Facino, Pico della Mandola, and uh, they uh, created the world's first Bible ever printed on planet Earth, which was uh, in 1475, 30 years after the Roman Catholic Church was established. Wow. See? Now, um, they created that uh, that Bible. Um, and I asked people, uh, when and what date was the world's first Bible ever printed? The answer to that is 1475. Where was it printed? In Italy. What city in Italy? Bologna. What alphabet was used to print that Bible? Greek. Um, who formulated that Bible to be printed? Johannes Ruslan, Marcello Facino, Pico. Della uh, whose material did they use to formulate this Bible? Moses Maimon called Maimonides. And what was the orthodox name of it? The orthodox name of it was called the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. You see? Now, at the same time, Brother Philippe, the Roman Catholic Church had no literature for their object of Christianity. The object of Christianity is Jesus the Christ. They had no literature, had no Christian literature for that. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, uh, translated this Hebrew Bible from, from Greek to Latin, and he gave that uh, translation to the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, okay, which uh, made the Pope uh, mad and indignant about him doing this, but at the same time, the Roman Catholic Church had no literature for their object mm-hmm. of Christianity, which is Jesus the Christ. So in 1500, Pope Alexander VI commissioned a homosexual playwright by the name of Desiderius Erasmus to come up with uh, something by way of literature on the object of Christianity Christ uh, to bring up something by way of that will be equal to a Bible. Mm. Okay? So, and literature. Now, uh, this Erasmus, like I mentioned before, was a playwright and also an ex-Roman Catholic priest. Okay? So, um, he wrote three plays. He was a playwright for Europe, Enceridion, 
adages, uh, uh, and plays of folly. Those are his three plays that, that are known today. Now, what he did, it took him 16 years. In 1516, just as Erasmus came out with what is known today in history as a Novum Instrumentum in 1516. In 1519, they changed it to the Novum Testamentum. In 1535, they changed it to the New Testament. Mm. That was the world's first literature, Christian literature, ever uh, was created on planet Earth by and for the object of the symbol of Christianity, Jesus the Christ. when he created that literature, it was is also known and called the Synoptic Gospel. The Synoptic Gospels consist of three books, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. That is the Synoptic Gospel. And they always tell you that John came later. John did come later in the King James Version of 1611. Okay? The King James Version was created by Francis Bacon and Lancelot Andrews. For King James. King James had nothing to do with that. Mm. Oh, when the 1611, when that Bible that we know today as the King James Version came out in 1611, the fourth gospel of John was in that Bible. Mm. You see? So, um, now, let's go back. Before Erasmus in 1516 came out with that Bible that we know today as the New Testament, then known as the Novum Instrumentum, Pope Leo X was in, he was furious over what had uh, happened and, and what had been offered to the Roman Catholic Church by way of a Bible by Johannes Ruslan that he called for the destruction, the confiscation, and the burning of all Jewish literature. Mm. You want it, see? And if, if if any of your listeners will go and write this name down, uh, perhaps you can do it there while you while I'm talking to you, Brother Philippe. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yes. The Fefficon Ruslan controversy. Fefficon P F E F F E R K O R N. Ruslan, R-E-U-C-H-L-I-N, controversy of 1510. Put it up on your iPhone, and you'll see that controversy there. That happened right there. Spell that once more, please. Fefficon, P-F-E-F-F-E-R-K-O-R-N. Ruslan, R-E-U. C-H-L-I-N, Controversy of 1510. Okay. Okay? This is before Erasmus. This happened six years before Erasmus came out with the Novum Instrumentum, which he dedicated to Pope Leo X. Now, Pope Leo X was infuriated over uh, this Hebrew Bible that had been presented to the world and to the Roman Catholic Church in 1475. Okay? 
So he called for the confiscation, the burning, and the destruction of all Jewish literature in 1510. And that's, uh, you can read it under, under, under the name, I just uh, had you to write down, the Pfefferkorn Ruslan Controversy of 1510. Okay? And uh, so. So, and six years later, uh, Pope Leo X called off the destruction, the confiscation, uh, confiscation and burning of all Jewish literature. He called it off. Why? Because Erasmus had produced literature that I just mentioned earlier for the object of Christianity, which is known as Jesus the Christ. He had produced literature. So, for the Roman Catholic Church, for that object of the Roman Catholic Church, which is Jesus Christ. So he called off that. So, But if you put it up, you can get a good historical reading and understanding of what happened back at that moment, you see. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, then Erasmus added uh, six more manuscripts to his synoptic gospel or the New Testament of the Novo He added one and two Peter, one and two Corinthians, Galatians, and Epistle to the Romans. Those are his nine manuscripts that are in the book of the New Testament today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So then uh, uh, when he produced the Novo that was also in Greek alphabet. In 1524 and 25, uh, in that area, uh, William Tyndale, his friend, his personal friend, Erasmus' personal friend, translated that uh, New Testament into English in 1524-25. And then in in, uh, 1539 and 41, Miles Coverdale came out with three Bibles, one dedicated to Henry VIII called the Great Bible, and the second Bible uh, was the the Cramner Bible. Thomas Cramner was the ecclesiastical advisor to Henry VIII. He was the one that told Henry VIII how he could uh, divorce uh, his wife, Catherine, and uh, and Mary Anne. his, 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 his lover, Anne Bolan, okay? And uh, so he told him how to just break away from the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church did not give him uh, sanctions or give him uh, the authority to divorce his wife, Catherine, to marry another woman, mm-hmm. okay? So but Thomas Cramner, his... Ecclesiastical advisor did that in 1533 to do that. So uh, even though later on Cranmer uh, uh, was burned at the stake for doing it, but <laughs> that, that's the way it go. But anyway, um, uh, when uh, that Miles Coverdale created those Bibles, three Bibles in, uh, 14, in 1539 to 41. The first Bible that he created was called the Great Bible, dedicated to Henry VIII. The second Bible he created was 
It's called the Cramner Bible, dedicated to Thomas Cramner, the ecclesiastical advisor to Henry VIII. And then the third Bible was the Geneva Bible, you see, mm. uh, uh, 1441. Then you come up with uh, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, those, those, those friar brothers in France, they created what is known as the Douay Bible. Uh, uh, and they, they came out in uh, 1582 and 83 with the Douay Bible, which is, a, which is a New Testament or a Bible that was, uh, let's say, um, that was uh, guided by and, and, and sanctioned by the Roman Catholic Church. In other words, this was the Bible that was created that they wanted the literature in there and the words and the narratives in there. They censored that Bible. They censored it because they only want certain information to get out to their parishioners or followers. Mm-hmm. So in 1610, uh, these same friars came out in France with a version, another uh uh, version of uh, of the of the of the Old Testament in 1510. That was also a Bible created uh, and 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 and, uh, and sanctioned by the Roman Catholic Church for their followers and Christians and parishioners at that time. Now, a year later, that's when Francis Bacon. Lancelot Andrews came out with, in 1611, the year after that, came out with the King James Version of the Bible. Mm. So that gives you a little overview history on how the Bible was created and when it was created, who created it, and so forth and so on. So that's about it, Brother Fleet. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Walter Williams. This man is just absolutely amazing. Thank you for that that, that history lesson. Because uh, people have a lot of questions on, you know, how, when, what, who, uh, and the the end result is that you want us to uh, learn, believe, or know and understand. Uh, our ancient Egyptian heritage, culture, and lineage, and no religion, uh, that no man-made religion can do that. Correct. You have to use the discipline of history, human history, not pseudo-pigraphy history. The word pseudo-pigraphy means false and fictitious. Mm-hmm. You cannot use mythology. You cannot use allegories and metaphors and fiction. You can't do that. You've got to use human history. And that's the reason why, Brother Philippe, I have a, uh, an award to give to anybody of any race, creed, or color, including the Pope. I have a 5,000 award to give to anybody of any race, creed, or color, including the Pope, that can repudiate me and history. Uh, when me and history is saying that there's never been a man that ever walked out of a uniform in a race, Peter Cullen, by the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, that same $5,000 is offered for anybody of any race, Peter Cullen, 
that includes all emails that can uh, use the discipline of history and prove that a Prophet Muhammad walked this earth as a human being. And I will give $5,000 to anybody walking this planet today that can prove that any biblical character named in that Bible walked the earth as human beings, I'll give you $5,000. Now, if you can't do that, if you know someone else that can do that, I'll give them a $2,000 finder's fee to do it. And, okay. uh, and my money has been in the bank for over, uh, going on 30 years. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, nobody has nobody has won that bet as of yet to date. And, and, and we all know never will because history is history. It cannot be erased once you know it, once you learn it. Correct. So you can't you can't use what you believe and what you think and try to use your your personal humanity and your spirituality to make what you believe and what you uh, have faith in and what you think right. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. So you have to, if you're going to prove that Jesus Christ walking there, use the discipline of history and write it on paper like I did mm-hmm. in my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity. I did not use not one biblical references. In the historical origin of Islam book, I didn't, I, I didn't use any Islamic or Quranic reference, none whatsoever. I used the discipline of history, and that's what I required for anybody to uh, challenge me on what I just asked you or anybody to challenge me on. We appreciate you, uh, Dr. Walter Williams, uh, Historical Origins of Christianity. It's the book, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this has been the third installment with this great teacher and great uh, uh, scholar. Uh, and uh, we want you to uh, uh, share this and comment and, uh, of course, subscribe. Uh, and uh, we will definitely uh, hear you again uh, uh, on the Philippe Matthews Show. Uh, thank you so much, uh, 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 Dr. Williams, for, for just sharing all of this knowledge and taking the time uh, to do so. We really appreciate you. Well, it's my pleasure to do that, and it's my honor to be on your show. And another thing, can I leave my email address? You certainly may. If anybody in the listening audience wants to contact me, you can email me at ancientegyptian at msn dot com ancient egyptian at msn dot com when you email me put your phone number there and I'll get back to you and we can converse further in conversation again it's my honor to be here on your program brother Philippe and it's an honor uh, and a privilege uh, that I have accepted and you asking me to be on your program. So thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Absolutely, and, 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 and thank you, thank you, thank you again as well. And we're going to definitely have you back for more, try to pack more of this hidden history uh, and, and uh, uh, get closer to the original consciousness and frequency of the ancient Egyptians. We appreciate you, Doc. Okay, thank you again. All right, Mia Hotep. Mia Hotep, my brother. <laughs>